Welcome back. Hope you had a great break. We're going to jump right into our next session now with Dr. Manu Jain. Dr. Jain is a professor of medicine and pediatrics at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. He joined the faculty at Northwestern in 1996 and is now a full professor. Dr. Jain has been the director of the adult CF program at Northwestern since 1997. He's received funding from the NIH, Veterans Administration, and CF Foundation for his investigative initiated research. He's published over 100 peer-reviewed articles and served on numerous national CF boards and committees. Currently, he's the adult program representative on the CFF's Center Committee and the Planning Committee for the North American Cystic Fibrosis Conference. Today, he will present mRNA therapy for people with cystic fibrosis, Next Steps. Welcome, Dr. Jane. Uh, thank you, Jim. It's really a pleasure to be here. So uh, good morning, uh, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on uh, where you are. Um, it really is uh, exciting to be here at this conference. I've uh, attended before in person. It's really, I know, a wonderful uh, conference, and I look forward to uh, bringing you some information about uh, mRNA therapy for CF. Next steps, the possibilities and challenges of mRNA therapy on the horizon uh, for people uh, with CF. So why don't we go ahead and get started. Uh, these are my uh, disclosures. So I always like to start uh, about things that, that might be coming down the line to look back a little bit. I think it's always instructive to see where we have been in terms of understanding uh, what the next step is going to be. What I'm showing you here uh, is a timeline starting some, roughly in the late 1930s when CF was first described by uh, Dorothy Anderson and uh, following that about 70, 80 years of um, benchmarks. And so what I want you to notice is a yellow line, which is the um, uh, predicted survival for people with CF based on the registry data uh, over the last 40 years or so. And what I want you to know is the continuously upward curve of expected survival uh, over that period of time. And, and on that, um, that line, you also see some uh, hallmarks uh, of CF care and delivery over that period of time. A couple of things I'll mention, the sweat test was developed um, in the late uh, 50s. The CF share gene was mapped in 1989. And in the, in the blue, you see a lot of the therapies uh, sort of targeting uh, the lungs, but other uh, parts of the body as well that have been used and developed for the use uh, of people with CF. And then finally, the, at the very top right, you see all the modulators that have been approved over the last um, seven to 10 years that are available now. So this kind of gives you an idea of where we've been, uh, where we are now, and then hopefully I'll show you where, what the next step should be. Times that definitely are changing. So when we look at modulators, the first one that was approved was Kaleidico. Um, and at that point, when it was approved, about 10% of people with CF were initially eligible. Following uh, Kaleidico, uh, the next drug that was approved was Ercambi, which is a combination of a CFTR corrector and a potentiator. And that was, at that time, applicable to about 50% of people uh, with CF. Following Ercambi, we had uh, Semtico, which is also a combination of two medications, of a corrector and a potentiator and about 60% of people became eligible uh, for Simdico. And then most recently, about two and a half years ago, we, uh, uh, Trikafta was approved. And this was two uh, CFTR correctors plus a potentiator. And it was a big jump in the number of people who would be eligible. About 90% of 
of people uh, with CF are eligible for Trikafta uh, and it's very highly effective. So we this sort of uh, pyramid shows how there's been a continually increasing number of people that are eligible for modulators. But this is great. However, we still have about 10% of people uh, who for various reasons are unable or not eligible for these modulators. And this highlights uh, the work we still have to do going forward. And parenthetically, I'll mention that the, of, the, of the people who are not eligible uh, for modulators or, or can't use them, uh, uh, they're disproportionately uh, people of color. I'll show that here in a second. So just to go through in a little bit more detail of who, uh, which people with CF need additional uh, therapeutic options, clearly people whose genotype, their mutations are not, uh, not um, indicated for trikath or other modulators. Those people need additional treatment options. There are also people who, for various reasons, may not tolerate uh, modulators. They may have side effects, whether it's uh, skin rash, liver problems, drug, drug interactions, that they may not be able to use modulators. So they clearly need additional treatment options. Now, we always see a, um, uh, uh, a spectrum of clinical effects. Some people have had a very, very robust uh, uh, clinical response to Trikafta, but there are a few people who have a relatively modest uh, clinical effect, and they uh, would obviously need uh, additional treatment options. And finally, you can uh, make an argument that uh, even if you've been on Trikafta and have gotten a very good treatment effect, at the end of the day, it is still not a cure. And if our goal is a cure for all people with CF, then an argument can be made that uh, every CF, uh, every person with CF needs additional uh, treatment options. Um, now, if you look at uh, the distribution of people who are ineligible, uh, you know, over the age of six, uh, ineligible for TRICAP in the CF registry, based on uh, their background, you can see uh, that uh, uh, of, uh, people who are of Caucasian background about 10% or so are ineligible uh, based on what their gene mutations are. But if you look at uh, Blacks or Hispanics, you can see there's, there's a higher percentage uh, of, of people with that background who are ineligible uh, for uh, Trikafta because of, just because their genetic background is different. And so clearly there's a disproportionate need to develop new therapies that can help uh, our Black patients and Hispanic patients. So uh, to move on to my, um, the main part of my talk, now what's RNA? So RNA um, is a molecule that sits in the cell. Um, it's the RNA stands for, it's an acronym for ribonucleic acid. And in some ways it is similar to what we understand DNA to be. Um, there are four uh, nucleotides that are repeating, sorry, um, uh, that uh, are bound together sequentially to create a long RNA molecule. Now, in contrast to DNA, it is a single-stranded uh, molecule as opposed to DNA, which we know is double-stranded, a so-called double helix. Now, there are many different kinds of RNA you, that you may uh, hear about or read about uh, that uh, exist in the cell. Uh, there's mRNAs, which is the one that we're going to look at, which is uh, uh, messenger RNA, and it codes for protein. I'll talk about that here in a second. Uh, but there are other kinds of RNAs that you may re, uh, hear about. The tRNA, which is uh, a transfer uh, RNA, which is used to uh, make protein, but doesn't code. There's the rRNA, which is ribosomal uh, RNA, which is also important for making a protein, but doesn't code for the protein. And there are other uh, smaller RNAs, which are used for, uh, which, which are in the cell for various other uh, activities. But for our, the purposes of our discussion today, 
we're really going to focus on the mRNA, uh, the messenger RNA. So what does messenger RNA do? Well, I think if we uh, sort of think back a little bit to our biology class in high school and uh, uh, look at this uh, diagram, it'll give you a better idea what the mRNA treatment is supposed to do. So we know our genetic code is uh, in the DNA. The, the, the sequence of the DNA is where uh, our genetic code lies. That's where the CFTR gene is. Now, when a cell makes a protein, now the protein is a sort of the workhorse of a cell. That's what does all the, the, the functional uh, activity of a cell is dependent on the protein. So the way this, uh, this works is that the, the code from the DNA uh, is made into messenger RNA. This uh, process is called transcription. And this mRNA will uh, lead to the, the, uh, to the production of a protein, in this case, CFTR. So you have DNA made into mRNA. The mRNA is, goes into the cell, cell cytoplasm to make the protein where the protein can do the function it's supposed to. And, the, and for CFTR, that's to serve as a chloride channel. Uh, I'm having a, uh, I don't know if someone can help me move the slide forward. All right, good. Um, so if we think about CFTR uh, as a car, um, C, uh, and the CFTR protein uh, is the car, uh, CFTR mutations um, uh, is, uh, uh, can be looked at as a car problem. And how can we solve that car problem? So in terms of MR uh, therapy, the idea is that by uh, renting a car, in this case, mRNA, you can have a temporary uh, access to a car in such that uh, you're able to uh, carry out the normal function, in this case, the normal function of a cell. This is in contrast to uh, gene therapy, where you actually get a new car, as opposed to a car rental, uh, which does the function of the car that's not working. And then if you think about gene editing, that's a concept that you actually repair the car uh, that is not functioning. Uh, you, you keep the car, but then it's repaired and begins to function again. But for mRNA, we think about this as a kind of a car rental. So what does that mean? Well, before I get into that, I wanna talk uh, uh, about one treatment that's being tested and developed that also uh, works on um, RNA, uh, but instead of giving you uh, 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 RNA exogenously, in other words, uh, from uh, outside uh, your body, um, there are uh, treatments that uh, work towards uh, people who have mutations called nonsense suppression. <clears throat> These nonsense mutations are mutations that lead to a truncated mRNA as shown here. What this means is that the mutation in, a, in the cell leads to a premature stop codon. In other words, your uh, cell does not make a normal length mRNA. And as a result, you don't have any protein made. And so that leads to the problems within a cell and for a person. So how can we address that? Well, there are Drugs being developed that um, can actually uh, address this situation where you can make your own mRNA full molecule. What I'm showing you here is a diagram uh, of what happens when somebody has a premature stop codon or so-called nonsense mutation. And uh, when you have a mutation that ends with an X, like a 542X, uh, that is an example of a mutation that is a premature stop codon. So as you can see here, as 
the RNA is being translated into a protein, uh, because you have a premature stop codon, the protein that is made is very short and is destroyed within the cell before it actually gets to where it needs to get to in the cell membrane. <coughs> but there are drugs being developed that um, allow uh, the binding of the, of the drug allows the premature stop codon to what we call read through. In other words, the mRNA is not uh, truncated, it doesn't stop, it continues to, to, uh, to make the protein. And because of these drugs, this allows you to have a normal length mRNA. And as a result, you have a full length protein that is made. Uh, and that pro full length protein then can get to the cell membrane and function in the way it's supposed to as a CFTR uh, chloride channel. Now, this has been tested uh, in the laboratory. And the drug that I'll talk about is ELXO2, which is being developed by a company called Elox Pharmaceuticals. And what I'm going to show you is uh, information from an experiment that they uh, that the company did testing this idea in a in a laboratory uh, using cells from a patient who had the G542X mutation. Uh, and then what they wanted to see was if these cells uh, in the laboratory were exposed to this ELXO2 compound, could you have increased activity of the chloride channel? And that's shown there in the green. You can see is that the dose of the drug was increased. There was more CFTRTV de detected. This meant that the, that the drug was uh, allowing uh, a normal CFTR protein to be made, at least in a small amount. They did a second part of the experiment in which they wanted to see uh, if we add a CFTR potentiator like Kaleidico or VX770 here, uh, which would allow opening and closing of the channel, could you get increased activity? And what they will show, uh, what I'll show you here is in that blue, when they combine ELXO2 with uh, VX770 or Kaleidico, you get increased activity of, of, uh, uh, for CFTR. More chloride is allowed to go back and forth uh, through the cell. So this is proof of the idea that you could combine a new drug like ELXO2 with something we already have, Kaleidico, to increase CFTR uh, activity, which was uh, uh, very uh, interesting and exciting. And they've actually done a, a small study in patients who have uh, these uh, uh, X mutations, uh, and they was, uh, showed some results um, at the latter part of last year. And it was a small study, a phase two study. Um, they had 12 subjects. And of course, with a new, new uh, medication, we wanna make sure it's safe. And encouragingly, uh, they did not see any treatment related severe adverse events, which is encouraging. And they did see some increase in the sweat chloride. As we know, sweat chloride is a marker of CFTR activity in a, in a, in a patient. And so there was some indication that there was a modest effect on CFTR activity. <laughs> Excuse me. Now, to, uh, uh, there is an ongoing study in which patients who are getting ELXO2, they're also now being uh, given Kaleidico to see if there could be increased uh, uh, effectiveness of this approach. And that study is ongoing and hopefully we'll get some results later this summer, early, uh, maybe by uh, the CF meeting in the fall we'll see if there was an added effect of giving Kaleidico on top of this drug. So this uh, approach uh, is not giving you a, a message RNA, but it's allowing your own cell to make more of its, your own message RNA, and hopefully uh, we'll have some efficacy. Um, so to get to the, uh, to the talking about messenger RNA, in which you are giving um, wild-type CFTR to uh, a person with CF, the idea here is that uh, if you have CF, that um, your mutation does not allow you to make a normal uh, mRNA molecule. You have a mutant CFTR molecule as I've showed you where the arrow is. 
And as, as a result, you do not have uh, normal CFTR protein made and you don't have activity that you need, which is chloride movement. So the idea behind mRNA therapy is that we'll bypass the gene and we'll give uh, a wild type, a normal CFTR mRNA. And the idea here is you give this mRNA that that will code for a normal protein. Once it gets into the cell, it'll make the CFTR protein and the protein will then get to the membrane and work as a chloride channel. But the neat thing about this uh, idea is that it doesn't really matter what your mutation is. And, the re and this is a so-called genotype independent treatment. So uh, when you give normal CFTR to an individual, regardless of what their mutation is, if you can make enough protein, you will have uh, efficacy. So in contrast to a modulator, this kind of treatment, if it works, would be applicable for any CF uh, person. So what does this uh, uh, mRNA therapy look like? And I've, shown you, I've shown you kind of a conceptualized idea of what this treatment would, uh, would consist of. On the left is what we call the payload, the messenger RNA. And this is the, the part of the, of the treatment that actually codes for CFTR. And there are parts of this payload that include both the, um, uh, both the mRNA, which is sort of the white uh, bar there, which is the coding part, but then there are other parts of the RNA which are really important to make sure that once the mRNA gets into the cell, that it makes protein in a very efficient way. Uh, and so this is sort of called the mRNA payload. Now, one of the things about mRNA is that it's, it's relatively uh, sensitive to uh, processes within cell. It can be destroyed relatively easily. So it has to be protected when you're nebulizing and giving it to patients. And that's where the second part of this formulation comes in, this vector, which is a... Uh, um, called a uh, nanoparticle. So the idea is that this nanoparticle, this uh, lipid nanoparticle uh, creates a shield and the mRNA is placed within this, this, uh, uh, this uh, lipid nanoparticle. So it sits inside it and the, uh, the particle is protected, uh, protects the mRNA. And then it's also optimized so that it can be nebulized. So it can be uh, in, delivered directly into the, into, the, uh, into the lungs by a nebulizer. And then once it gets into the lungs, the idea is that the mRNA is safely transmitted uh, into the inside of a cell, where then it can do its activity to create normal CFTR uh, protein. So most of the mRNA treatments that are being developed are using this kind of approach where you have a uh, nanoparticle which carries a CFTR mRNA. So one of the things that we've learned over the last few years is that um, that to have normal airway function, we have to have a number of different types of cells uh, present. And I've showed you here uh, the number, the, uh, uh, a few of these cells that we think are important for your uh, lungs and your specifically your airways to work normally. So it all starts with a basal cell uh, in the airway. And that's just sort of sits at the bottom part of the airway. And this is the sort of the, um, the progenitor cell uh, of the airway. It's the, it's the cell that creates the other cells uh, uh, that are, the, the other cells are made from this basal cell. So it's sort of a self-renewing population uh, that allows other cells to be made. Now, what we've not learned is that CFTR is, uh, is made in different proportions in different cells. And it, it seems to be that secretory cells uh, that make the mucus in our airways seem to have the most amount of CFTR made in the cell. The reason this is important for mRNA therapy is that we wanna make sure that when you give mRNA therapy, it gets into the right cell in the right amount. And so one of the things that we're gonna to have to figure out is that these new drugs that are being developed for mRNA 
are they getting into a enough? Uh, are they getting it into the cells in enough amount? And are they getting into the, the right cells? In this case, the secretory cells. So this is an important thing that we'll have to figure out as we go forward. So we, sp specific, uh, we speak specifically about mRNA therapy. Uh, one of the things that we want to uh, uh, assess, obviously, is does the mRNA uh, allow CFTR protein uh, to be made? Uh, and uh, as I said earlier, it is something that would work for anyone, regardless of the mutation. And one of the things we do know is that mRNA doesn't last uh, forever in a cell. Uh, it may last uh, uh, for uh, a few days to a week or a little bit longer but it's not forever. So CFTR protein will be made for a limited amount of time. What this means is that for mRNA therapy, it's likely that it'll need to be given periodically uh, to replace the, the cells that have been lost that, were, that actually took the mRNA initially. Now, uh, this mRNA therapy uh, is uh, not delivered normally to the basal stem cells because these cells sit at the bottom of the, of the mucosal layer of the airways and it's difficult to get the mRNA to those cells. So just to um, uh, 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 summarize here for a little bit, uh, so we are all on the same page. So for mRNA therapy, um, uh, every person with CF would potentially be eligible. In terms of the dosing schedule, we do know that mRNA does not exist for uh, a prolonged period of time. So uh, dosing would need to be repeated, perhaps on a weekly uh, basis. Um, it would be nebulized at least at first, so it would be delivered directly into the lungs using a nebulizer. Um, one of the challenges we'll face is that uh, we have to make sure it gets into the right cell, uh, that, uh, uh, that CFTR is important uh, to be in the secretory cell so, that's, uh, um, so it's doing the function in the, in the most important cell. And then it is, it is not going to be a permanent uh, solution. It's not a permanent uh, 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 treatment. I mean, in other words, you need to give it periodically. So how does this differ, uh, uh, how does similar uh, differ from the modulators that we have uh, available today? Well, in, in terms of similarities, uh, we're targeting the underlying cause, which is CFTR function. Uh, in contrast to CFTR modulator, this is giving mRNA, but we're both, both approaches are trying to have CFTR function in a more normal fashion. They're both novel. Uh, these are, uh, before modulators became available, there's nothing like that that existed. And so, um, they're both new novel therapies. And it took a long time to get to Trikafta, and I think it'll take this a similar uh, timeline, although I don't know for sure, but the, the timeline might be long uh, as well for mRNA therapy to come to our clinic. What are the differences? Well, one is targeting uh, protein, as I mentioned, which, which is what modulators do. For mRNA therapy, we're going to target uh, uh, messenger mRNA. Um, the, the treatment uh, for modulators is oral. For mRNA therapy, it's going to be nebulized, at least initially. Uh, modulators can target CFTR uh, uh, mutations in the whole body. At least for mRNA therapy, the, the initial treatment will, target the, will be targeting the lungs. And then uh, in terms of development uh, programs, <coughs> um, you know, the modulators went through a normal phase one, phase two, phase three with relatively large number of patients enrolled in trials. In terms of mRNA therapy, there are a relatively few number of people with CF who would be initially eligible for this. And so the study designs are gonna be a little bit novel and those are still being developed at this point. Uh, but just to highlight the idea that the study designs and the development program might be uh, a little bit different. So um, as, as we think about these treatments, 
you know, what information do we need to have before we feel it's safe to try it in people with CF? That sort of uh, highlighted a couple of things that I think uh, was really important for us to understand before we do any studies with patients. So first thing we wanna know is, is, is the, the mRNA therapy that we're gonna want to try, is it safe? And so there are lots of experiments that are done in, in, in uh, mice uh, to see whether it causes any sort of um, uh, local, meaning uh, toxicity to the lung or any systemic, uh, systemic toxicity, toxicity to the body uh, when we give this therapy to, to, to mice. One of the specific things that we worry about mRNA therapy is, is will your body have an immune response? In other words, uh, you are gonna make a protein that your body has never seen before, uh, you know, which is normal CFTR. Will you have any uh, response? As we know, we've are an era of mRNA um, uh, vaccine for COVID. And the idea there was you wanted to induce an immune response because that's how you fight the infection. In this situation, we do not want an immune response because we want CFTR to be produced and be active and not destroyed. And so one of the things we need to look at is whether we can develop it in a way that your body doesn't cause a significant immune response. So these are some ideas behind what, how we need to uh, judge safety uh, for this treatment. Uh, but in the second part of this is, is it effective? Now, does it actually show that it might be able to uh, uh, get CFTR function uh, in the, at least in the, in the cells or uh, in animals? So in CF cells, we can either look at um, uh, cells we get from a patient or uh, there are this new technology called organoids in which you can take cells from a patient and create a sort of a circular uh, um, uh, organ uh, which expresses the CFTR, mutated CFTR. And then you can expose either the cells or the organoid to this mRNA treatment and then see whether CFTR protein is made either through looking, uh, 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 sort of doing a, uh, uh, a functional assay to see if chloride moves uh, across the cell membrane uh, or uh, to see if these organoids swell up uh, as a sign that the CFTR function is, uh, is occurring. And then if you want to do experiments uh, in, a, in an animal model of, of CF to, uh, to have further proof, uh, there are things that you would do uh, uh, taking, a, there are animal models of CF, you know, that include um, uh, 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 sheep and, and, and pigs and um, uh, ferrets. And you could test this treatment in, in those animal models potentially to see if you're able to reverse uh, some of the CF related changes we see in those lungs when you treat with mRNA therapy. So this is sort of a conceptualized idea of what we need to see before we would want to necessarily go to uh, human studies. Whether we can do all of that um, remains to be seen. So what are the active programs? that are in development for CF. Well, I've listed on the right, uh, the mRNA um, lipid nanoparticle uh, programs that are uh, pretty close to coming to the clinic. Those are the three companies that are probably the closest. Uh, everybody should recognize Vertex, I would guess. But then Recode and Arcturus are two other uh, companies that have this mRNA uh, LMP uh, molecules. And uh, so they're probably closest to clinical testing. Now we have done some mRNA studies in the past uh, some of you may remember uh, ProQR from a, a few years ago. This was an RNA editing uh, technology. And Translate Bio uh, did a study a couple of years ago of their mRNA. And I'll talk about those in a, in a few minutes here as well. But the ones that are coming down the pike are Arcturus, Recode, and Vertex. So just to show you, uh, this go back to this concept of can we actually see 
um, uh, evidence of CFTR function in the laboratory before we start testing this uh, medication in patients. What I'm showing you here is an experiment that was done in cells that were collected uh, from a patient with a, with a mutation. And the idea here uh, was that uh, if this mRNA is uh, able to um, uh, make CFTR protein, you would see an increase in chloride activity and you would see that as a rise in that curve. And so what I want you to first look at is the VX770. This particular cell uh, uh, created, uh, was, uh, uh, had a G551D mutation. And we know this mutation responds to colitic or VX770. The reason they use this uh, cell uh, mutation is because then they wanted to compare how well the mRNA worked uh, relative to a drug we know works in this mutation, which is colitico. And you can see with colitico, you had a nice response with chloride function. But encouragingly, when you saw this Luna, lunar uh, HCFTR, which is the mRNA treatment, when you gave uh, 50 micrograms of treatment, you saw almost virtually the same amount of CFTR activity as you saw with, um, with VX770. But then if you give a higher dose in the blue, you saw that the activity in CFTR was even uh, greater than what you were able to see with Kaleidico. So this is kind of a proof of principle that if you give this, these cells this uh, mRNA treatment, you actually can rescue CFTR function, which is very encouraging. Now, um, what about in animal experiments? What kind of things would we want to see to, to indicate that the mRNA is working? And in, in a, in a, in a um, uh, uh, animal model, what you want to see is that the some of the normal um, uh, abnormalities of physiology that we see in a CF animal model, can you reverse some of that um, when you treat with mRNA. So there are two kinds of things you look at. The first is to see, well, if I give an mRNA treatment to an animal, can I actually see a CFTR protein being made? And on my slide on the left, uh, the parenthetical, this is an idealized experiment. This is not based on any studies that have been published so far or, or shown. This is what we'd want to see if we wanted, if this was going to work. So on the left, you would see uh, everything, every area that's brown, um, is where CFTR protein is being made. So this would be an indication that the mRNA was taken into, the, into all these cells and the protein was being made and we can detect that protein using this um, a staining technique where it's brown. And in terms of efficacy, whether the protein, once it's there, is it being functional, uh, you'd wanna see something like uh, you see on the two slides on the right. Uh, so what I'm showing you is on the top is the airway and then a submucosal gland. You can see they're uh, obstructed by mucus and uh, inflammatory cells and, and bacteria. And if you have mRNA treatment that works, you would see this obstruction is, uh, is uh, ameliorated. Now you can have open airways. The submucosal glands are not um, obstructed and they can function in normal fashion. So this uh, it, it would be an experiment where we would see, oh yes, the protein is being made and it's actually functional. It's reversing some of the physiology we see in CF. So this is the kind of thing we want to look for. I'm going to uh, skip that slide. And then, um, so um, in terms of understanding what we've seen so far from the, uh, from the uh, sponsors that are developing these uh, mRNA treatment, I'm showing you that here. And so for, in terms of Arcturus, um, uh, uh, unfortunately, we have not seen any publicly available information in terms of its toxicity uh, or antibody uh, formation. So this is something that's probably gonna need to be looked at uh, before we can start our, our clinical trials. Um, 
uh, in terms of efficacy, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry in, in terms of antibody formation, again, we have not seen any uh, publicly available information. So there's a relative dearth of information at this point, at least publicly available, uh, that uh, we've been able to see. In terms of efficacy, now, uh, both Arcturus and Recode have done, uh, have shown um, uh, data in a public setting that shows that they're able to reverse CFTR uh, function uh, using their mRNA treatment, uh, at least in cells. Um, in terms of animal models, we have not seen any data from Arcturus, uh, Recode, or Vertex uh, with respect to reversing uh, CFTR function. So this is the, the, the state of information as we have it today, but I expect this to change over the next few weeks to months as these trials uh, come uh, to our clinics. Uh, just to highlight the past trials that uh, have been done, uh, just to, to make the point that uh, this, treat, uh, this type of approach seems to be pretty, pretty safe. ProQR uh, uh, was a study that was done uh, uh, about five or six years ago where uh, the idea was that you gave treatment uh, to uh, uh, CF patients uh, and the treatment would allow the RNA, the mutant RNA to be edited in a way that was uh, a now a normal RNA. And it was a nebulized treatment. The main thing that we learned from that study that giving this kind of treatment was safe. Um, there were no real serious adverse events related to giving this kind of treatment. And more recently, Translate Bio did an uh, mRNA therapy, uh, messenger RNA using a uh, uh, a lipid nanoparticle similar to what, we're, what I've talked about today. Again, it was a nebulized therapy. Uh, and uh, the thing we learned from that particular study that it was safe, it was uh, well tolerated. Uh, there were no uh, severe adverse events that led to people having to stop the treatment. Uh, we did not see a, a big change in FEV1. Uh, so, so the thing we uh, did learn that this kind of treatment is safe uh, to give to people. So that was encouraging. So there are a couple of challenges we should probably talk about um, in terms of doing uh, not just mRNA therapy, but any kind of therapy um, for um, uh, genetic therapy or whatever. Now, what we do know is that CF airways are not, uh, not really hospitable to uh, uh, um, uh, uh, mRNA. They tend to be uh, sticky and thick and acidic. And one of the challenges is to design this uh, lipid nanoparticle that it doesn't get destroyed by this, by this mucus. We also know that immune cells can take up and destroy uh, uh, mRNA or gene therapy, so this has to be resilient for that. Uh, lump cells are continually replaced, and we've talked about how we need to, we will probably likely need to uh, give this treatment uh, at a regular period. Uh, basal cell, cell, stem cells are hard to get to because they sit at the bottom of the airway and hard to reach. So at least for mRNA therapy, we're gonna have to target um, secretory cells, ciliated cells. And the CFTR gene is large, um, and so it does require some challenges uh, with respect to creating the right kind of vector and molecules to be able to get into uh, the airway. So these are all challenges that uh, we've uh, overcome to a degree and will continue to need to work on. As I get to the, to the end of my talk, I just wanna uh, highlight some of the uh, therapy, uh, some of the challenges we're gonna have with respect to actually doing the clinical trials uh, in, in, in patients. Now, we I already talked about demonstrating the preclinical efficacy, what we need to see both in cells and, and in animal models. Um, you know, this is a treatment that's going to be for the long term. And so we're going to need to understand what is the long term safety of using uh, uh, mRNA based treatments. Are there targets, uh, uh, so called off target effects? Is, is there an impact of concomitant medications that may need to be given as well? Um, 
In contrast, a lot of other uh, new uh, treatments that are developed, the first treatment for genetic, uh, for mRNA therapy will be done in CF patients. Uh, in other contexts, um, uh, the first, treatment, uh, first um, treatments are done in human volunteers because uh, we want to make sure it's safe before we give it to people uh, with CF. But in, uh, because of the specific challenges around uh, genetic therapies and mRNA, the first studies will be done in CF patients. The eligible population will be small. Um, you know, we talked about 10% of people being eligible for this treatment, at least initially. So the pool that we recruit from will be a small pool and it'll require a lot of cooperation across CF centers so we recruit uh, effectively enough that we learn uh, whether these drugs work or not. And one of the unique uh, aspects of this is uh, just participating in, in one study, uh, how, does that impact your ability to study a, uh, uh, in the future a different kind of study? If you have some sort of an immune response, does that affect your ability to do future studies? It's an unanswered uh, question, but something that we are going to, to, to look at very closely and try to understand better. So uh, I just want to wrap up by just highlighting how long it took uh, the CF termodulator program um, to come to fruition. You know, uh, Ibocafter Aquatica was first approved in 2012, and it took um, uh, many years, eight years before it became approved for our very young patients. Similarly, Tricafta, uh, um, the uh, ELX TES IBA was approved in 2019, and it's still studies are ongoing before uh, ongoing and looking at very young patients, two to five and one to two. Uh, this just highlights that it takes a long time to develop novel therapies like this. And we're probably gonna see uh, a similar kind of timeline um, with respect to modulators that we saw. Uh, I think that's probably gonna apply to these mRNA therapies as well. Uh, uh, so I think we're gonna, uh, uh, we wanna be safe, we wanna take our time, but the work is, uh, is ongoing, it's gonna continue. And um, I'm hopeful that, that we'll uh, eventually be able to have treatments, uh, offer treatments to every person uh, with CF. So I know I may have gone a little bit over my time. Um, I'm sorry about that, but I want to thank you for your attention. I'd be very happy to uh, answer any questions. Thank you. Dr. Jane, thank you for a fascinating presentation and just such clarity. Um, I just say personally, how much do I love that metaphor with cars? <laughs> Repair versus rent versus own. That was great. <laughs> but thank you. And we do have a lot of questions for you. So we'll just see how quickly we can go through this. Um, starting with the top, uh, is the ELX02, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, going to phase three trials? Uh, they, uh, the plan is to go to phase three, but I think they're waiting to see what happens with uh, the addition of Kaleidico uh, and seeing whether they uh, will do it by itself or with the combination. So the plan is to take it to phase three, yes. And people can track this through the clinicaltrials.gov? Yes, and then the cff.org as well. And I want to remind everybody, ELOX actually is here as an exhibitor. So go to their booth and find out all their information. Uh, next question, would post-transplant individuals be uh, eligible to benefit from RNA therapy? Um, so when you get a, a lung transplant, um, the CFTR function is normal in the transplanted lungs. And so um, at least initially, the, the treatment for mRNA is going to target the lungs. So it would probably not be indicated for people who've had a transplanted lung already. 
how would mRNA treatment work in patients on Trikafta? Can you take both? So that's an interesting question. Um, so conceptually, um, Trikafta works on mutant protein, but it probably also works on uh, normal protein too. Um, and so uh, conceptually, you could take tri people on Trikafta, give them RNA that would make extra CFTR protein. Perhaps Trikafta could work on the protein that's made by the mRNA. So it could potentially have an additive effect to Trikafta. So conceptually, yes. And this is, goes back to my idea that uh, or not my idea, but the idea that um, potentially every person could be a candidate for this, whether you're on a, a modulator or not. But the initial studies will probably be looking at people who are not on a modulator because we want to make sure they have access and they're most likely to show an effect because they have no CFTR function. And we want to see if that has an effect. If you already have Trikafta, your ability to respond may be smaller than if you're not on anything. So we want to uh, probably do those people first. Got it. And somebody wanted to know if um, ELOX is going to be looking at adding Trikafta instead of the Kaleidico. Um, I, I, that's not that I have anything. Uh, I don't know that. I've not heard that. I think conceptually, um, it may make sense to do it. Um, but I think the initial plan is to, to do Kaleidico because the idea by, behind using uh, Kaleidico is that they're really trying to target the uh, potentiator function, the opening and chloride channel once it gets the membrane. Uh, someone wants to know, is there a way that mRNA could go straight to the sinuses for those of us post-transplant or straight to certain GI areas? Um, potentially, uh, yes. You know, I think that um, the idea there would be to um, expose the cells, whether it's the GI tract or the sinuses, it would just be uh, uh, an, uh, um, it would just be creating the right delivery um, vehicle. But conceptually, um, if you can get the, LN, the, the, the vector and the mRNA to, the, to a different cell type, yes, potentially you could get to sinus activity and GI activity potentially as well. Although it may be a little bit harder to get to like the pancreas or the liver because those are a little harder to, to um, target but by nebulization or directly. There were jokes in the chat box about mRNA colonics, but we won't go there. <laughs> um, would, it be <laughs> would this be practically applicable for patients who don't live near medical centers offering this treatment? I know some people have to go uh, have to block out a whole weekend to go to clinic. Does this make sense to have treatments that people need to go in on a weekly basis? Well, for for. Uh, so the idea is that, you know, the trials will, you'll have to obviously go to a center to get the medication. You know, we have to make sure it's safe. So we need, um, we, we need to be able to assess that and make sure everyone stays safe. But, you know, if it gets developed, the idea is not to have to come back to clinic for each treatment, you know. Um, now, there are challenges around keeping mRNA cold. I think some of you may remember when the uh, vaccine was being developed. The, it had to be at minus 20. That limited some of the distribution around it. So these are things that people are thinking about and trying to, uh, trying to overcome. But the idea is that it would be a home treatment uh, if it gets developed and approved. Uh, would there be concerns of doing this therapy with other people nearby, like siblings or friends from breathing in this mRNA? Yeah, um, you know, when we do a study, you know, we're very careful about not exposing anybody else because we don't know the risk benefit. Uh, from a conceptual perspective, I wouldn't expect, because 
if your sibling does not have CF, they are making CFTR protein normally. And so their body has been exposed to CFTR protein. So um, I wouldn't expect an issue of, of an immune response to, a, uh, to something like this. Now, if you can nebulize something, there's always the risk that you could maybe get some you know, irritation of the airway or something. But in terms of uh, uh, specific uh, issues with immune response, I wouldn't expect to see that. Is there a difference in mRNA response for people with CF that are older and have damage, lung damage versus those that are younger? Are older damaged cells less receptive to mRNA? Um, that's, a, that's a very interesting question. Um, I don't, we don't know the answer to that. The <clears throat> um, people are older uh, and with more damaged airways, they tend to have uh, more mucus, more inflammatory cells. And it may, you know, that may be more of the issue than actually um, the mRNA getting into the cell. Once it gets into the cell, the effect may be very similar in a young person versus an older person. But um, if you have a very damaged lung, uh, it may be harder. It may not be as efficient in terms of navigating all that um, mucus, inflammatory cells to get into the cell, which is where we wanted to get to. But, you know, we, we just don't know because those kinds of studies have not been done. Um, somebody had a question about, uh, you know, the CF animals, the ferrets, the mice, the pigs, and are they bred with CF for these experiments? Yeah, uh, yeah, so, so they have the mutations, uh, not all of them, but some of the more common ones. And, um, and they tend to get some of the same kinds of lung manifestations that we see with our, uh, with our patients. And so um, conceptually, it's very nice to be able to test this in a, um, before we give it to patients, obviously. I mean, but um, these, are, these are very, very difficult animals. Only certain uh, labs, uh, very specialized labs, in the country have the ability to, to, to do these kinds of experiments. So there is sort of a, a limitation how, how much or how quickly this can be done. So it, it's, it's conceptually very, very nice and very important, but from a practical perspective, it's not easily uh, done. Um, and these are mostly academic labs that have the ability to, to do these kinds of experiments. And a question, do these studies that are going on address um, missense mutations as well? So as I mentioned earlier, um, the, the really nice thing about mRNA therapy is that it doesn't matter what your mutation is. So, uh, so that's really um, uh, important to understand that, you know, whether you're nonsense or missense, you have deletions, <clears throat> whatever your mutation is, if you can get the mRNA into the cell and it makes normal protein, it'll reverse the, uh, the underlying uh, abnormality in the cell. So it's applicable to everyone. And you and I'm trying to think, maybe Dr. McCray had referenced about the issue with basal cells. And the question is, where do you obtain those? Is there some kind of bank? Where do you collect those cells? Well, the basal cells are produced within your, within your own lung. Okay, I mean, they probably get into that airway when you're an embryo. And, and so the nice thing about these cells are they're programmed in a way to be self-perpetuating. So every time a cell divides, you know, one, one of them becomes one of these other cells and one of them stays a basal cell. So it continues, it's a self-renewing population. So this is something that your own body makes um, and that allows sort of a pool from all, which all the other cells come from. 
So, uh, so um, in, in some ways, if you're going to have a like a gene therapy approach, this is not my topic, but a gene therapy approach, if you get into the basal cell and it's it takes hold, then that might be a, a permanent solution because then it's in the cell that's going to just continually, continually perpetuate and then it'll just continue to make the normal CFKR proteins. So that's down the road, how to access those cells. Yes, exactly. I want to make sure I got everybody's questions. You were amazing in your <laughs> rapid response to many questions. Dr. Jane, it is always a pleasure and an honor to have you present with us. We're so grateful to you for sharing your time and your expertise. And uh, thank you for all you do for the CF community. Oh, thank you very much. I really enjoy uh, working with you guys. And uh, thank you for the invitation. It's really an honor. Take care.